going to talk about time travel. And uh, no, I'm just kidding. But uh, it seems like every movie, or not every movie, but every show and most movies uh, were so infatuated with time travel. I mean, you can't watch a cartoon without them having an episode. I don't know. I don't know if we watch cartoons anymore, but you can't really watch any show without them having an episode about time travel. There's so many movies, and we're so infatuated with going back in time or fast-forwarding time because if you're honest with yourself, right now sucks. Right now is the worst. We want to know what's coming, or we want to go back to when it was a good time. There's so many of you in here that would give your entire life savings, I mean every penny you've ever made, to go to the future and see who you're married to. Who you're married to, what's your job, where do you live, how much bank you got, how many kids you got. You would spend every dime you've ever made just to see it, and then you would come back, and that would be enough for you. But if you were honest, you would rather go to the past. Because what does the past have? Oh, our mistakes. Our past has our mistakes. So tonight we're going to talk about kind of, man, if we could have a do-over, if you could have a do-over. We just finished a series in relationships, and just a spoiler alert or teaser for coming up, Mike is going to do a series on heaven called FOMO. So if you are interested in heaven, what it's going to be like, what's going to be there, are you going to be there, is your buddy going to be there, you need to come the next few weeks to hear about the heaven series, okay? But tonight, I want to start... uh, In the Bible, just kind of an obscure uh, passage, kind of something that, I mean, you probably haven't heard too many times. It's kind of abstract, not very preached on a lot. It's in this weird book called John, chapter 3, verse 16. And it is, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, finish it with me, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And you've heard that verse a thousand times, and you have it in your Instagram bio. Your buddy's got a tattoo of it. You have heard that verse. You, you've probably never even been to church, and you know that verse. I think there's like a wrestling guy that holds up the John 3, 16 or something. I don't know. But you have heard that verse so many times. But what we have failed to see, or what I have failed to see, is the story that this verse is attached to. This verse is attached to one of the most pivotal stories in my life that I have ever heard, and I want to share this story with you guys tonight. So if you have a Bible or a Bible app, uh, meet me in John chapter 3, and we will walk through the story of Nicodemus. Nicodemus. I Googled this this morning, what does the name Nicodemus mean? And uh, I don't know, I couldn't even find anything. I wanted to say something cool, but I don't have anything, so... So I was reading this uh, story, and a lot of times when we read the stories in the Gospels of how Jesus interacts with people, it's kind of like, hey, that's cool, and Jesus is super cool, and he says a lot of cool things, but that doesn't really apply to me. Uh, He was on earth 2,000 years ago, and I don't really understand how this has anything to do with me, but it's cool to look at, and it's cool to understand. And I just kind of want to start tonight and kind of get you guys in the shoes of Nicodemus because the Bible says that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. That what we read in the Gospels of how Jesus walked, how he talked, how he dwelt with people, how he asked the best questions that have ever been asked, he responds and acts the same way with you and me today. The Bible says that Jesus is the exact imprint of the nature of God. So if you're here today and you're like me, or you have been like me in a time where, man, communicating with God is difficult. It's hard. We have no idea what he's saying. We have no idea if what we're saying or thinking is getting to him. I want us to put ourselves in the shoes of Nicodemus in these 17 verses and say, the way that Jesus 
acts in response to Nicodemus is the way that he acts in response to us today. And I want to pose this point just right out of the gate at the beginning that me and you are just like Nicodemus. Me and you are just like Nicodemus in this story. So let's read verse 1, chapter 3, verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So I just am going to kind of tease out this dialogue a little bit that Nicodemus talks a little bit, then Jesus responds, then Nicodemus responds again. And I just want to show you guys how similar we are to Nicodemus in the story in the first way that all of us, all of us have done this at one point or another similar to Nicodemus is we go to God at night. We go to Jesus by night. So Nicodemus is a Pharisee, and the Pharisees in these days, they did not like Jesus. I mean, they couldn't stand him. They thought Jesus was there to destroy everything the Pharisees had built, everything that they stood for. They thought that he was against it. And Nicodemus was just like you and me, and he was intrigued by God. He was interested in this man, Jesus. And what did he do? He had to go to him at night. For some of you, this is an actual reality, that the only time that you would ever admit to talking to God, to being honest with God, to telling God what's actually going on in your life is at night in your bed. I've been there. I mean, all day we smile, we go to work, we go to church, we go to thrive. It's so good. God's so good. There's an army. I mean, we're singing, we love it. And when we get home, we go to God at night. We go to God at night. Maybe this is a metaphor for you, and it's not literally at night, but you wouldn't be honest with how your relationship with God really is, and you go to him when no one's watching. I mean, this isn't just for people who are doing super well on the outside, but on the inside, it's not going well. This is for all of us, because if you were honest, you would not want many people to know where you truly stand with God, where you truly stand with God today. And like I said, this isn't me, I'm trying to find the seven of you who are phony and fake. No, this is all of us that, man, we put up a front. We put up a front. It's fine. We're fine. I'm fine. I have a friend who he always constantly says this to me. He says, Luke, everybody is doing worse than what they seem. And I'm not going to say that there's entire truth to that. I mean, I think some of us are actually doing pretty well. So I don't want to like, you, you suck, you suck, you suck. Like there are some of us are doing well, but. What Nicodemus does is what we all do. We go to God at night. We are not going to tell everyone everything. I mean, we have our accountability partners and we have our best friends, but I could guarantee you that there is something about you that nobody knows. There is something about you that nobody knows. And so what do we do? We go to God at night. Let's keep reading. It says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. I don't know if you guys have ever got a, like coffee with someone or just like a one-on-one, but there's always two types of meetings. There's the first meeting, which is like probably 90% of meetings that is like, hey, we're just catching up. Hey, I haven't seen you in a while, man. You want to go get coffee with me? And then there's the second type of meeting, and that is the agenda meeting. There's an agenda. And I don't know if you guys have ever been in an agenda meeting when you get there and you sit down, 
and both of you know that there's an agenda, but both of you are acting like there's not an agenda. And so you're just sitting there and you're talking. You're like, how's school? It's cool. I hate school. It works good. And both of you are getting awkward because you know there's an agenda, but you don't know which one of them will, will bring it out first. Some of you are nodding and some of you are like, what's an agenda? But a lot, you know what I'm talking about. I mean, it happens to me all the time because I want to get the agenda on the table, but I'm sitting there and I'm like, are they going to bring it up or do I have to be like, okay, why? Or like, what's going on? So Jesus is the king of agenda. He has an agenda every time that he's meeting with somebody. So Nicodemus comes to him and he goes, hey, I heard you're, you're doing all these signs and there's something up with you and you're kind of different than everyone else. Uh, what's going on? And he's kind of like, hey, are you saved or not? And he immediately just goes right to the agenda. And Jesus always, always is not going to waste our time. He never is going to waste your time. Jesus is, doesn't want to have a dialogue with you to run you through this and then run you through this and then go over here and go over here. Jesus wants an agenda for your life, and he has one. So, I, so many times in my life, I look back at my life, and I see all these mistakes, and I see this sin, and I see these just stupid decisions that I've made, and I'll always trick myself into going, yeah, but God just sent me through all that to teach me. And so anytime that I make a mistake or I sin or I do something dumb, I will always say, yeah, but God, that was God's plan for me. And God's plan for you is absolutely perfect and true, but God's plan for you is not to sin. And why I share this in this story is because when Jesus has an agenda for you, and he has a perfect plan for you. It's never to sin and it's never to look back on your life and say, that was God the whole time because sometimes we had to take ownership for ourselves and our mistakes. So Jesus looks at him and he says, truly, truly, I say to you, you cannot inherit the kingdom of God unless you've been born again. And Nicodemus is kind of like, I just came for the catch-up meeting. Why do you have an agenda here? And so Nicodemus speaks again. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and, and be born again? So Jesus asked him, hey, have you been born again? And this is a confusing term. A lot of you are like, I know what born again means. My dad, I mean, he can't go a week without being like, is that guy a born again believer? I think it's like an old Baptist thing that people say. Are you a born again believer? And so, I mean, you probably have heard that. Or this is the first time you've ever heard that term in your life. And really, I don't know how to explain it perfectly. And Jesus tries. We'll see in a few seconds when he tries to explain it. But to be born again, to be saved, is to start over. You get to start over. And why I share that clip of Napoleon Dynamite and time travel is because we all have regrets. We all have regrets and we all want a start over. So I want you guys to just kind of examine your own life and say, have I been born again? What does that mean for me? And we'll explain a little more as we go on, but I just want that to be in the front of your mind as we continue this passage. Have you been born again and what does that mean for you? And if you have been born again and you know that you have a relationship with Christ, you follow Jesus, absolutely no doubt in your mind, would you go back in time just a little bit to see, remember what it was like when you were born again? So Nicodemus keeps talking to him and he's like, born again, what the heck does that mean? And the second way that me and you are just like Nicodemus is that we ask great questions. 2020, what are we, Gen Z, millennials, we don't want the answer I don't know. I, I don't know. We Google everything. 
uh, questions are absolutely the scariest thing. I have a story. Uh, I was sitting in college, and I don't know if you guys have ever used, like, clickers in college classes, but, like, you click in and you answer on the board, and so your number is linked to your name, and they know if you've clicked in or not. It's like an attendance thing. So we're, I'm sitting in this class called Genetics, worst class of my life. Uh, and this professor, she had note cards with all of our names on them. And she would whip out one of those things and say, Luke Kramer, in front of a lecture hall of like 100 people, because I went to Akron U. Like 100 people in this room, <gasps> lose my mind. So I was like, I've never talked to this professor in my life. She doesn't even probably know I exist. So I'm sitting there, I'm like second to back row, hated college, hated that class, snuck in 10 minutes late, left 10 minutes early. Uh, she gets a note card and she asks a question that might as well have been in Chinese. I mean, I've never, I've never heard of any word she ever said in that question. And she goes, asks the question and she goes, Luke Kramer. And she looks up and I was like, I don't think she knows who I am. So I just, what I do? I sat there, didn't even say a word. I had two friends that were in a lab with me that were sitting five rows in front of me and they both went like this, they, just this face. They were like, and I literally looked at them and I was like, and they were like, I can't believe he's doing this right now. So I didn't answer the question. She's like, oh, he must be absent. And went to the next one and asked and it was, it was over because I was deathly afraid to answer that question. It gets worse. So I go uh, to lunch or whatever afterward. I get an email from the professor and she said, hey, you use your clicker to click in, but when I called your name, you never answered. This is academic dishonesty. Immediately reply and tell me what is going on. And I was like, shoot. So I emailed her and I said, so, so, I mean, I can word the email, I'm, I, I can do it. I was so sorry, I, I love your class so much. I've never learned more in my life than in your class. I'm so, I was just so deathly afraid to give the wrong answer because I respect and honor you so much as a professor. No, and so I told her that I was deathly afraid to answer this question and she was like, oh, no problem. I'm so, thank you so much for emailing me and telling me. I was like, great, it's done. So I get to class the next day or Friday, whenever, and get in there. I'm like, sweet, I like this professor. And I went and sat down, back row, same thing. She asked the first question, Luke Kramer. And she called on me again, and I was like, I thought I handled this. I thought it was over. And so I tried to answer, but I mean, duh, buh, buh. I had no idea what I was saying. She answered it for me, but like, you know how like a little kid, you like repeat after me. And so she did that, and I finally answered it, and I was like, oh my gosh, that was so embarrassing. And I finished it, and I'm like, okay, it's done. So she lectures on a little bit more and then she gets going. She asks another question, Luke Kramer. And she called on me seven times in the same class to answer seven questions that I couldn't even fake that I knew the answer to because I have never seen any of the material that she was teaching. So <laughs> what I'm getting at with this story is that questions are tough. We know how to ask tough questions and we know how to answer tough questions. And Jesus is sitting with him and says something to Nicodemus that Nicodemus absolutely does not understand. He's baffled, he's blown away. Jesus might as well be speaking in Chinese. And what does Jesus do? He continues to explain himself. He continues. And I just wanna comfort those who have ever been in a church service, who have ever read the Bible, or someone has ever talked to you about the Bible, and they might as well be speaking Chinese. Same. We all have been confused by the Bible before. We've all been confused by Jesus before. We've all had to ask tough questions that we don't know the answer. And believer in Christ in the room, when you are talking to a non-believer, can I challenge you? Can I plead with you to be patient? They don't know what the Bible means. They don't understand. So Jesus is sitting with this person who's not a believer in him. He says one phrase, 
hey man, you have to be born again. You have to trust me with your life. You have to surrender what you have. It seems pretty simple what Jesus is saying. And Nicodemus goes, what, born again, back in the womb, what are you talking about? And he's blown away. But he continues to ask. And if you're here tonight and you don't follow Christ, or you've come and you're kind of interested and you don't really know what this church thing is all about, we love your questions, the Bible loves your questions, Jesus loves your questions, God loves your questions. I was talking to a guy the other night and he said, he doesn't follow Christ, he knows everything about it, but he said, not for me, uh, because he thinks that those who follow Christ are dumb. He would say, man, I, I, I know some guys who are real smart, I know that they are hard workers, they're great people, they're super nice, but once it gets to the Bible, it's just, it's just kind of dumb, it's just kind of dumb. And I just wanna challenge you or to remind some of you that following Christ is not committing intellectual suicide. You are allowed to follow Christ and be a smart person. You're allowed to believe this book and be an educated person. And Nicodemus is the perfect example of that. He's a ruler of the Jews, he's a teacher of the Jews, and he has big questions for Jesus. So many times we use the term blind faith. Put your blind faith in Jesus. And Jesus likes blind faith. He wants you to trust him when things don't make sense. But this book is long, it has lots of answers, and God wants to answer your questions. Ask tough questions. I was sharing the gospel with a kid at Mike's place in Kent one time, and I mean, it was great. I thought this was like a done deal. I mean, this kid, he's gonna be a pastor, he's gonna be a Christian, it's so good, like it was so good. And I'm sharing it with him, I'm like, yeah, you sinner, God, I had like my wristband on, the whole thing, I was doing it so good. And I get done, and he looks at me, and he smiles, and I'm like, here it comes, he's gonna say like, right, he goes, man, that sounds like magic. And I was like, magic? And he's like, yeah, that sounds like magic. What do you mean a guy died for me 2,000 years ago and now I can go to heaven? That sounds like magic. Following Jesus is not committing intellectual suicide. It's confusing to us. Nicodemus is like, born again, what does that mean? It doesn't make sense. But Jesus, what does he do? He explains himself. Let's keep reading. Verse five. Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born with the spirit. So Jesus is doing his best to try to explain to him what does it mean to be born again? And he, it seems like Jesus goes on a tangent here. He's talking about the wind. He's talking about sounds. He's talking about the spirit again. He says, you don't marvel at this. And the third thing that me and you are just like Nicodemus is we get confused by Jesus. We get confused by God. We get confused by the Bible. Nicodemus is a ruler of the Jews. He's one of the most intelligent people when it comes to the scriptures of God in this town, in this city, and he is absolutely baffled by what Jesus is saying. He has no idea what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about being born of water, born of flesh, that which is born of flesh is flesh, and Nicodemus looks at him in verse nine and says, how can these things be? Translation, what the freak are you talking about? And I just wanna empathize with the believer in the room, the person who's been a Christian for 20 years, the person who is here with their friend and got suckered into coming, the person who just started following Christ maybe a year, two years ago, we get confused by Jesus. It is my job to read this book and to teach it and it confuses me. 
It's Mike's job to read this Bible and teach it, and it confuses us. Jesus sometimes confuses us. So what do we do? What do we do when Jesus confuses us? It's funny, they're going on a dialogue, and it seems like after every time Nicodemus talks, Jesus talks a little bit longer. So Nicodemus starts the conversation with three questions, then Jesus talks, and then Nicodemus has two questions, and then Jesus talks, and then Nicodemus just had this last question, how can these things be? And then Jesus talks the rest of the chapter. I wanna challenge you guys tonight that when you're confused by God, when you're confused by Jesus in the Bible and what's going on in your life, to stop asking so many questions. You cannot think your way into heaven. You cannot ask enough questions to have a relationship with Christ. You cannot think your way into heaven. Jesus is asking him these questions and he's, he could straight up just give him the answer, but he's taking Nicodemus on a rabbit trail to finally say, Nicodemus, stop. Stop asking so many questions. Stop thinking so hard. And Jesus finally gets to the root of the matter as he finishes up speaking and he talks for a while at the end. Verse 10, are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. Stop. I just wanna ask you, when Jesus says, we speak of what we know, we speak of what we know. If you're a Christian, let me encourage you that if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, you cannot be plucked out of God's hand, that you can know that you have eternal life. And if you are not a follower of Christ and you have been looking and looking and looking for something to be consistent, man, you've been dating and dating and it's just, it just fails every time. You try to get good jobs, you try to work overtime, but you don't have the money anymore. Where's the money? Your parents are fighting, your parents are, were fighting and you wanted to put it back together, you wanted to put your family back together, but it crumbled. You have a brother or a sister or a friend who you wanted to follow Christ. You guys were following Christ together and it seemed like you guys were gonna keep doing this and they're nowhere to be found. And these inconsistencies drive us insane because what does every one of us in this room want? Control. We want to control. And Jesus looks at Nicodemus and he says, Nicodemus, you're asking all these questions and I have the confidence I speak of what I know. You all know a a friend or a colleague or someone who's not a Christian, and what do they say? They think Christians are arrogant. They think people like me are are cocky because what? We speak of what we know. I wanna encourage you that there are things we don't know. There's tons of things that I don't know. But when it comes to my eternal life and my savior in Christ and what he did on the cross and what he did when he rose from the dead, that is something that I know. We know that. We speak of what we know. God has never changed and he never will change. Man, COVID and all this stuff, we don't know what's gonna happen tomorrow. DeWine gets up there every day and he says things we have no idea what he's talking about. Mass, no mass, this company, not this company. It's a train wreck. I speak of what I know and what I know is what Jesus did. Let's continue with what Jesus is saying. Verse 12, if I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the son of man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. 
So Jesus keeps going, and he's even being more confusing to someone like me and you, but what he's doing in this moment is he's telling Nicodemus exactly what Nicodemus needs to hear. And I don't care if you're in your 20s, 30s, teens, guy, girl, this college, that college, Jesus wants to speak to you personally. And what does he do to Nicodemus? Nicodemus is a ruler of the Jews. He's a a young Jewish boy, grew up, knew all the scriptures. And what does Jesus do? He gives him a story about Moses. He says, I'm gonna speak your language. When you are sharing Christ with others or you are talking to people about God, would you try to speak their language? Would you speak the language that they know? I mean, so many times I meet with people and it seems like I will say something about the Bible and they'll be like, cool. And then the next person I'll say the same thing and they'll be like blown away. Because Jesus will speak to your personality. He dwells with you. He meets you exactly where you are and he will speak to your personality. Would we try to do that with others? So what Jesus is saying here to Nicodemus, he shares this obscure story in the book of Numbers about Moses and he shares this story about all these snakes are biting these people and killing them in Israel. And Moses goes to God and he says, God, what's going on? We need safe from this. What is going on? And so God says, I've heard your cry. I've heard your prayer. Hold up uh, this bronze staff and every one of the Israelites who looks at this staff will be saved from the snake bites. So he is speaking Nicodemus' language, telling him, making this parallel or this metaphor of what Jesus is. Jesus is basically saying, whoever has their eyes on me and believes in me, when I have been held up, they will be saved. He's speaking Nicodemus' language. Jesus meets you exactly where you are. He meets you exactly where you are. Born again. He asks this question. Have you been born again? Have you been born again? A second birth. We were born when we were born. (laughs) A second birth. A rebirth in Christ. Giving Christ your life and saying, I want something new. Will you bring up uh, John 3.3? 3. This is the KJV version. I don't know if you guys grew up in church, you know the, the verily, verily. It says, Jesus answered and said unto him, verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And why I bring this up in the KJV, a funny story, I started following Christ at the age of 16. I grew up in church, I knew all the verses. I said, I am so sick of hearing about John three sixteen and the gospel and the fellowship and all these words, I hated it. I couldn't stand it. My dad forced us to go to church, we had to go to church or we died, that was the rule in my house. Uh, I just wanted to go there to flirt with girls and to eat candy and I was so sick of church, I mean, I couldn't take it anymore. I was 16 years old and my brother caught me on the steps of my house. I was, I don't know if you guys ever go down the steps. I'm just trying to give you some images of this story where you like propel yourself and go down like five steps at once. Well, I was doing one of those jobs and I went like that and almost kicked him in the face and I'll never forget his face. He was wearing a gray hoodie and he stared at me and he said, you are coming with me to a Bible study uh, Monday night. And I was like, that's hilarious. You couldn't catch me dead at that thing. And he was like, no, I'm not asking you, I'm telling you. So I went to this Bible study in this basement and I walked down the steps and a bunch of little church nerds there like you guys all know and circled up and I thought we were all gonna pray for each other's like neighbor's dog. You know how you like you circle up. Any prayer requests? Yeah, my neighbor's cousin's sister's dog is sick. So I couldn't, oh my gosh, I couldn't take it. And we opened up Bibles. A kid who had grown up in church seemed like I never read the Bible in my life. 
cracked open these Bibles, and I, there was a guy, and he was laying on his stomach, and he had this Bible that was about as big as the house, and it was this big KJV sitting on his stomach, arms crossed, his legs are kicking up, and he read this verse. It says, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And I thought a knife went through my stomach. I will never forget what I felt when I, when I heard that guy read that verse. And I was like, I remember praying in that moment, like, God, I have been in church my entire life. My dad says born again believer a thousand times a week. Why now is this happening to me? Why is this convicting me? Why is that phrase, a man be born again, because I had never been born again. I was baptized when I was seven. I grew up in church, I knew all the words, but I had never went to God, said, God, your work through Jesus Christ is enough for me. It's the only thing I need for heaven, and I want to start over. I want a do-over. If you're in here tonight, and man, you trudged your way in here tonight, you said, this is my last chance at church. This is my last chance. I need something to help me tonight because I have a problem waiting for me in a few minutes that I don't know how to fix. I have a problem waiting for me tomorrow morning that I honestly, I'd rather just sleep in. I have a problem waiting for me in the next couple months that's coming up and man, I wish I could slow time down. This verse is all I can give you. Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. The only person in the world that can give you a do-over, can help you start over, is God. In 1 Corinthians 5, it says this verse. I kind of want to end with this verse, if you want to bring it up, John. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. Man, I am just, remember being at 16, begging God, like, I want to start over. I don't know if you guys have ever had this dream. I used to be like this in high school and college where I wanted to move away and start over. I wanted nobody to know who I was anymore. I was sick of walking into a room and everyone in that room already having their mind made up on me. They already know who you are, Luke. You're loud, you're arrogant, you argue with people too much. Their, their mind's made up. I wanted to start over. And man, if I could just, I remember looking at plane tickets and apartments in Florida, South Carolina, I'm flying out of here, I'm gone. And right now, some of you might be laughing because that's your plan. You're graduating and you're gone. But maybe you feel like you're stuck tonight and you don't know what to do. I can't have a do-over, my, I'm in too much debt, I'm in too much sin, I've, I'm in too much addiction, I don't know what to do. The old has passed away, the new has come. Would you give your life to Christ tonight? Would you say, Jesus, what you did on the cross is enough for me? And if you've already done that, would you remember that? Would you go back to God like a child? Would you run to him and say, I want to start over? This entire book is about God, a perfect, all-sufficient sacrifice, giving people do-overs. Moses, he's leading people, he's leading people, he's doing all these things, he murders somebody, I don't think any of us in here are a murderer. He murders somebody, and what does God do? He gives them a fresh start to lead people. Job, the story of Job, he loses everything he's ever had, his family, his money, his possessions, and at the end of that book, what does God do? He gives him a do-over. This man, Nicodemus, he's, he's coming to Jesus. He has all these questions that can't be answered, and he meets Jesus, and Jesus gives him a do-over. The woman at the well has a sexual past that would probably put yours in the dust. 
and God dwells with her in the flesh and gives her a do-over. Jesus' best friend, Peter, spits in his face. He says, I never even knew that man. I don't even know who Jesus is. I want no part of him. And he jumps off the boat and swims and has breakfast with Jesus and gets a do-over. Luke Kramer, 16 years of hypocrisy, lying to my parents, lying to myself, lying to everyone in my church about my actual relationship with Christ. I met Jesus in a basement in June, my junior year, and he gave me a do-over. Man, would you just ask for Jesus to give you a do-over tonight? I'm gonna pray. God, thank you so much that you know us infinitely and love us infinitely. There's so many things in my life that I've done that are just so dumb. God, thank you for never giving up on me. Thank you for constantly giving me a do-over. Your mercies are new every single morning. I don't understand why you're like that, but I love you for it. God, I just pray that I could try to live a life that would be deserving of your love, but I never will. God, if there's someone in here who has never been born again, would you speak to them right now? God, would you just grip their heart? God, speak clearly to them what they need to do to have a relationship with you. God, I pray for all the Christians in the room right now who have been saved, they have a relationship with you, they know about you. God, I pray that you would just give them a fresh start tonight. Put a stake in the ground, God, for them. Remind them of who you are, remind them of your love, and remind them of the gospel. God, I pray for Thrive and us as a whole that when we go share this good news about how good you are and about how amazing you are, God, would we do you justice and share it with love. God, we repent for what we've done and we're so thankful for your forgiveness. God, I pray you would give everyone in here a fresh start today. I pray these in Jesus' name, amen.